Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Load of Balls. And I'm delighted to be joined by, uh, I suppose it's, it's performance psychologist, Cormac Vanney. Cormac, how are you doing? Great, John. Thanks for having me. I'm a sort of avid listener to your podcast. I would listen to it regularly. It's probably my second favourite podcast out in the market there at the moment. <laughs> what would be the first uh, one? Well, uh, Cormac. I, I wouldn't want to be given any sort of selfish plugs, but, uh, or selfish plugs, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mastering Your Craft by uh, Cormac Vanny's. Uh... <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're, there's a different level, you see, you know, yours is more professional and, and uh, clean cut than, than mine, so I'll, I'll get yours is up there now. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's, it's I, great I, to be here. I enjoyed the, the Morton Clark one, especially. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a great insight into I suppose the sport at the professional level, and I suppose county and, and club level as well. He was now Martin. I know myself. I even took a lot away from it myself. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And um, Cormac, you're you're still playing. You're playing for Dundrum. Um, took a few years out. Um, and you know, in your time out there, I see you you've set up your own company yeah. as well, and um, Helping improve performance consulting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose like just one, just one bit, Cormac. Yeah, what did you say? Sorry, I messed up. Sorry, just what what is what does that involve? And uh, you know, sort of, can you give us an insight in in exactly what uh, what you do there? Yeah, um, it's a sort of as you say, a performance psychology business. So, I operate across two main areas like well being and performance. So, um. Most of my work would be in schools, John, where I'd be de- delivering work primarily to pupils around from primary five or six. So that's from basically targeting the main school stressors. So from anti-bullying to developing resilience to motivation to study skills and then to um, preparing them psychologically to cope with pressures of exams. And then I would deliver workshops on some of the themes to, to parents and the staff as well. Um, in, in sporting terms, my main role um, is with Ulster Rugby, where I work with their academy. So that is the players, you know, that are pretty much between leaving school and getting into the senior setup. There's an academy system in place where I'm part of the multidisciplinary team that, that works there doing uh, sports psychology. So even we would have, I suppose, a strong enough Gaelic connection even within that. Um, Kelly Fay's a works alongside me doing sports psychology she's a, a camogue from Eglish and then Peter Donnelly has um, joined from Throne GAA now looks I've actually seen now he's away over to Monaghan to work with Conor Lavery and then Kieran Campbell the manager of the academy had played GAA himself he's uh, he's got Kerry connections He and then he moved over to London and, and played a bit out there before he started playing for London Irish and then um, played for Ulster so yeah that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell John yeah, the, I suppose it's it's you know preparing the kids for the for the exams and up there and the stresses is is yeah. vital as well, especially um and you know it can't be uh, underestimated like you know how important that is that you know for people going into different environments as well as you say going into you know universities yeah. or even you know undertaking the exams. Yeah, I was just giving them the skills and I suppose uh, tools to sort of help them um, prepare for that and even you know even we would talk around anxieties and stressors that it, like it's, it's okay to feel anxious but it's 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 not okay to hold on to it so we even would look at the kids with mm-hmm. just different ways if they are feeling stressed out how they can how they can let go of it and how they can help themselves out uh, in those times so it's uh, uh, education is a big part of it John yeah yeah and I suppose when we're talking about um, anxiety and on the edge of receipt the, the big game um in the the junior level this this week is of course the junior final. Yeah. Um, you're a man who's who's uh, you know, you've been there, done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suppose with Agnes Defina and Bright, uh, two teams that fairly deserve it, you know, being in the, in the final. But it's uh, two teams that have different narratives to mm-hmm. it. Agnes Defina, I think this is their first final. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Bright have done it before. So well, I think it's Bright's actually over the last. I think I was my dad's actually a Bright man. Um, he played for Bright, and as the my uncles and my cousins. So I would have sort of always followed their results when we're not playing them. Uh, I think this is possibly their sixth junior championship final in twenty five years, and they haven't won any. So it's um, you know, it, you 
you know, I suppose it's it's been a tough journey for them as a club, but um, they keep coming back and fair play to them for that. Yeah, and as you say, Bright there, I actually went to school in Brighton, mm-hmm. lived in Brighton, yeah. so it would be a, a team I'm very fond of as well. Yeah. Uh, great team at Legomar either. So, yeah. um, but, uh, you played Ockham Stefan in the semi final. Mm-hmm. Um, you were very lucky to stay on the pitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, John, this happens quite regularly that when a player ducks into your arm, it looks worse than it is. Uh, I thought it was a fairly legitimate tackle, but uh, I suppose uh, what you viewed from the sideline might be different from what actually happened. But uh, we'll move on, John. <laughs> I got a cheeky yellow um, so that was a, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I the uh, I suppose, like with the, I'm going to be pushing you for for a prediction at the end of the, oh, right. the preview, uh, comic, But, um, playing Agnes to Finn, we'll go, we'll, we'll concentrate now first. Mm-hmm. Um, what way do they set up? Who's the main players, and you know what they need to do to? Yeah, to well, Agnes to Finn actually both teams are quite similar in how they set up. Um, they're both. Like if you look at their their scoring stats, both of them are averaging about nineteen twenty points a game, which is mm-hmm. is, is big scoring. Um, the Finn have you know the the really attack from half back. They've I suppose they're two wing backs, uh, Sheen McCann and Ashen O'Toole. Like they wouldn't look out of place in a forward line, and you know they'd come up with scores. Um, even in in the middle of the park, they've uh, Owen Flanagan who who actually who who was the one that was on. Um, the receiving end of that tackle that you mentioned, like he's got, you know, just pure pace. Um, the pace in the forward, they cross Gray and Adam Garland, particularly that night in um in Cuckoo against us, they caused us serious bother. Um, combining well, Shea Shea Cross Gray is like he's lightning. Adam Garland's just he's clinical. He's probably he is one of the best finishers that. I would say probably the best finisher in the division. Um, even the likes of uh, Brano McComsky there, who link player can create. Um, you have Sean Willoughby and Chris Dorn, actually two men who who played for us two years ago. Um, when Finn um folded, they came to on drum along with um Ricey. Unfortunately, Ricey broke his leg this year, but they uh, so Sean Willoughby like t- tough take dark take tough defender yeah. controls the defense. Big Tiernan and Dylan. Is um he was full back like he's a he's a real calm and influenced strong presence out there. For me, their standout player though is their midfielder Donick Steele. He's been for me the best player in Division Four this year. Um, just like a, a real aerial presence. He's physical and you know f- for me he he makes the fin tick. Mm-hmm. And the um, kickout strategy then is it to hit the midfield or is it uh, quick resets then? So they had sort of mixed it up um, against us. That they generally went long, um, and you know that, that's how they played. We, we played three times, so generally they did. From recollection, that they went long because I wasn't having to as a inside forward. I wasn't having to work too much to to, to try and get things organised. So yeah. Um, yeah, generally they would try and target Donick Steele um, around the middle because he is a he's a he's a grip ball winner. Mm-hmm. And Colin, just with um, this being the Finns' first uh, ch- uh, championship final, um, what's the pitfalls and what advice would you give mm. players around the build-up? It's only a few days away now, so uh, yeah, I'm sure now the, the uh, excitement levels and the butterflies are are at their, you know, their their gathering momentum. Yeah, um, well, I suppose I can. I can sort of relate to that myself. Like, um, Dundrum played their first championship final. I played my first one in 2005. And it was our, as a club, it was our first one since, like, 76. So, like, you know, it was well, it was near 30 years. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of hype and there was a big buzz about it. And to be honest, John, personally, I got caught up in that hype. Um, you know, there was it was all buzz. There was flags. There was everything was going on. All people wanted to do was talk around it. And, you know, I even look back on it. My focus leading up to that game was, you know, it was about a big crowd being there. We were on before the championship final, like Mailbridge and Bransford were playing after us. So I was buzzing to have this big crowd watching me. Um, I was even thinking about, you know, the game, even after the game where the party would be, if, when, if we, well, I suppose I was thinking we're going to win, when we won, and fortunately we did. And I look back on that game, I was I was crap. Um, I was 
focusing on everything what I needed to be focusing on bar what I needed to be doing to help the team win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is there is the potential to get you know I suppose I was focusing on the occasion more than the game. Um, and to be honest, I sort of learned from that, uh, reflected on it, and then actually that's how I got into the area of sports psychology. But two weeks later, I started a degree on sports science mm-hmm. and the mo- the module of sports psychology we were covering, and we were doing something in focus and concentration. And I, it just it hit me there and then why I had played so poorly that day. Um, and then fast forward into the, that championship final, played for second one about seven years later, eight years later, and... I was just I had, I had three things in my mind that uh, in the build up to that and that's all I was focusing on was creating space a good first touch and then good decision when I got the ball to take the man on or to lay it off and that's mm-hmm. all that was uh, sort of resonating in my head in the build up to that so I just really focused on the processes of what I needed to be doing to have a good performance and that that day my performance levels were vastly superior I was actually very delighted with how I played that day and you know for me a lot of it was to do with not playing the occasion, focusing on what you need to do to have a good game. And at times when, you know, that hype and that build-up and the buzz, it's not, it's fantastic for the fans. That, and, you know, you do need, and you can't blame them for celebrating that everyone's getting excited. But as a player, you need to shield yourself away from it. Yeah, and as you said, like, you know, whenever you do think back of, of bad performances, you know, it is your mind does wander a wee bit, like mm-hmm. during a game or, or before it, you know. And it is just about getting your yourself grounded again and yeah, yeah. what got you there in the first place. You know, hundred percent, John. Yeah, and um, and I suppose like th- they're the two best teams. You know, keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, and, you know, but as you said, how are they gonna? actually stop themselves from you know everywhere they go now people are going to be talking about it the family's going to be talking about it yeah um, you know that's that's what my worry would be you know how do they and yeah. um, like do they meet up as a team beforehand do you suggest that or 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 you know what ways can you counteract that oh um i suppose it's a hard one um i suppose it as a as management it's just sort of reminding them of what enables them to get here Mm-hmm. Um, like as you say, they've been successful. So, like, it's a saying in life: success leaves clues. So, like, you know, w- what are the three, four things that have got us here? And and I think it was I probably going to talk about the relegation playoffs as well. Same concept, focusing on what it is that's got you here. Um, what are the three, four things we need to do well as a team? Like these, like them conversations and reinforcing them in training, reminding boys of that. It's all about. I suppose there's a there's a book out there. Um, Bill, Wal- Bill Walsh is the famous NFL coach the scoreboard takes care of itself hmm. um, it's, it's focusing on what you need to do on the day and it's, it's just constantly reminding them of that I think because um, I suppose there's very little you can do if, if someone is meeting you in the shop or whatever it's very difficult to tell someone to piss off like you know without being, uh, without being rude so it's maybe um, and I know actually reading Nicky Hart's autobiography he talked Around, around this in the build-up when Tyrone were in their first All-Ireland final and he said to the players, you know, it's 95% listen, uh, 3% smile and 2% talk. So it's it's just that maybe people have their say and whatever without you getting emotionally involved in that conversation. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's branded advice actually, yeah. So, are you, um... And I suppose then the other side of it is is bright are coming to town with a lot of experience. Um, mm-hmm. They've been there, done it. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there's not as much. Um, although they have, they did lose the final the last time. I think not against. Yeah, yeah, they played us two years ago. Yeah. Um, I did actually. I suppose it took note at the time. You know, maybe you shouldn't be. But I happened to notice that they went into. They went into overdrive big time as well um you know getting i suppose with the hype around it um yeah at this time it doesn't seem to be as much i don't know how that's whether like and to be honest bright that day they probably didn't perform uh, no they didn't perform like they didn't score in the first half against us if memory serves me correct um so like did are they taking a more low-key approach this time around based on two years ago or is it the fact that they've been here before and it's 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 maybe 
you know, it's the hype mightn't be the same because they've, as a group, they've gone through that. I don't know. It's hard to know. You would need to ask someone from Bright, but I have definitely noticed um, myself um, a sort of a more low key approach from them as a club. Yeah, the the players then, the Bright players, um, you know, they perform well in the league. They started had a, a slow start. What players mm-hmm. um, are going to be vital again to the Bright success? Yeah, um, so similar to to, to to Finn, the Bright have uh, they've got attack minded half back players of Freddie O'Connor, Corey Ranham, who were doing two wing half backs uh, against St Pauls. I noticed like Freddie O'Connor's got serious pace. Corey Ranham actually, he done full forward, I believe, in one of those. I think it was possibly Liverpool Hope uh, University team when they won one of those university titles. I think he racked up one seven one eight in that day so to have him out there at wing back you know it's it is a luxury um their forward line young jack mclaughlin he he tore us apart in bright the night we played them like absolute pace to burn um gareth george again kind of similar to adam garland uh great finisher um and then you know bright also of decky trainer he's been about it's been about developing squads He's a he's a clinking forward too. Um, Sam Dinu as well, young Sam Dinu is out around wing forward, um, good player. Um, and then the full back line, they're, they've got their marshal by my a good mate of mine, Barry McGain. Um, you know, experience in their know how. Um, I would imagine Keelan Toner will probably pick up uh, Owen Flanagan in midfield, and then Seamus Tomaldy looks like he might be assigned uh, the job of curtailing Donick Steele, and that. For me, that is a key, key job, is trying to limit Donick Steele's influence in around the middle of the park. Yeah, and um, I know um, Owen McAvoy from... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've there a couple of years, so yeah. he was sort of playing the sweeper role. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lot, uh, Owen's ball, ball retention skills would be very good and... Ah, he's a strong boy. He doesn't give the ball away. I remember, like the night we played him Dundrum. I think he was injured and in bright that night, but we played him in Dundrum. I thought he was just so strong in the ball. He always gave the right option and um, broke tackles. Yeah, I, I like I would know Owen as well from doing a bit of work with Red High over the year. Like Owen's a solid player. Mm-hmm. And you said that their setups, like it's like, so it's sort of like Murren, uh defense setup as well. Yeah, it it is indeed. Like pl- player for player, they're very similar. Like even if you look at like, if you look at their league form, John, mm. their league form is almost a mirror image. Like Bright beat the Finn by six, the Finn beat Bright by five. Uh, the other two games each each team lost was away to Dundrum. The only difference actually between the two clubs uh, was against St Pauls. So um, I think St Pauls get a last minute goal to beat Bright, and the Finn get a last minute goal to draw St Pauls. So you know that the difference in the league title is, I suppose, those championship minutes. Um, like they, they just are so like it, it's such a tight game. Like it's it, it nearly is impossible to call this one. Yeah, and then, well, you're going to have to call it because <laughs> that's the reason why I brought you on the show. A <laughs> uh, <I> draw. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, no, but so that's that, that's great. Then that the final is going to be contested by two evenly matched teams and. You know, they're yeah. going to be down to the fine margins then of you know, even the two managers and the coaches like seeing things you know during the, during the gameplay as well. Even before, before the game, John, I'll give you uh, quite a funny example of uh, one of the finals we played in. Um, I'm not, I'm not even the team we're playing against, but we're warming up and we were set away to you know do your own static stretch. And so I happened to, I just happened to look across at the other team mm-hmm. and. The I was, was doing my hamstring stretches, just taking a look to see their non verbals and all that crack. And they happened to be doing like a warm up. It looked like something you'd see like in a an A level physics paper. It was uh, it was complex to say the least. It was boys obviously didn't know where they were going. The manager had to stop that drill uh, twice, you know, to try and get it right. And I remember I was speaking to one of their players maybe a couple of years later in Belfast, and he was saying that was the first time they they done that drill. Yeah. So like you're gonna mean like we are familiar. We're probably creatures of of comfort and familiarity. Like even if I mentioned t- today now, uh, your listeners about a change in job, that would send spike. I would send heart rates mm-hmm. up. So you know, trying to stay away from change, you know, for me is a big thing because like a championship final already is a stressful enough day. Without that, so that was adding stress on top of the existing stressors of their players and actually another funny story in the same game like Paul McComas gave them playing like wing half forward for us all year 
and Marty Cochran and Glenn Sanoff forward. So the fourth, so obviously they had been told, right, player X, you're going to be doing wing half back, you're Mark and Tom Comiskey. So Paul just happened to say to Marty, throwing right, I'm just going to stand center half forward here for a couple of minutes. You go out the right half forward just to see what happens. Um, so like the players were the right, right half back, center half back were shouting, you know, each other, right? Who's picking who up? He's like, well, I'm center half back. He's like, but you're supposed to be picking. You're supposed to pick and cotton up. Cotton's over here. So it was it was really funny because just they basically got stressed out. It took them about two three minutes for the management to actually sort it out along the line. So you know. I, those small things can can add up as well in terms of stress from the day. Exactly, yes, and, and like it is a accumulation of, of the the smaller details add up. You know, yeah, to the, yeah, to the results. So, when I said yeah. time now, where I'm going to push you for, uh, for, for a, a one winner and and. Um. Uh, right. That's a sale. Oh, Christ. Um. I'm going to go uh, based on the fact that they've been here as a group. They've done it before. Uh, not done it before. They've been through the process before. They know what it's like to wake up in the morning of the championship final. They know um, what it's like to warm up in Park Asler. They know the changing rooms. They're, they're used to playing on a bigger pitch in Bally. No, that maybe might be the decisive factor here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck on the line say bright. Um, but... It could be a draw, and it could be the film. Equally, equally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, no. Who's the bookies' favourites to win it? You know, I haven't, I haven't actually checked yet, but um, as well as that, like the August event haven't lost the game since we beat them in May, so they have serious momentum behind them. But but Bright are sort of on a similar sort of run, so the the Finn have it a tougher, potentially tougher. Uh, run to get to the final, so that could stand by. Them. You're, you're not right. You're if, you're, if you're making a pick, I'm going bright. You're talking yourself out of it. You go with bright, but how many? Yeah, I'm going with bright. Um, uh, there's not. Go- I don't think there's going to be more than a kick of the ball in it. And sentimental reasons as well. And my dad been from there, and uh, the, the amount of hard luck stories they've had as a club over the last 25 years um, with championship final defeats, and you couldn't, you couldn't be grudging it. No, so they are now. You're going for bright. I'll be there. Yeah, Cormac, Um, and I suppose it, it is. It's it's a great story as well for the two clubs, and it's yeah. a great occasion. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, ah, so am I. Massively, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a, uh, a minor game, a, a hotly contested minor game before it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, it, it, it in one sense it's, it's great to see, but from my own personal perspective, the fact we get we get beaten in the semi final, you. You're probably going to be will be there begrudgingly watching it. Yeah. You can't, you know, a better team won on the night there with uh, us in the fin. Like so, that's just that's just the way it works. Good stuff. That's good. So that's part one finished with. Um, join us after the break, and we'll go through part two where we will be talking about uh, relegation and the potential playoffs. <laughs> Welcome back to part two. Cormac, I suppose um, it's coming really into the business end of the season now with the, the leagues are sorting themselves out. Congratulations to the winners. Um, Kilku winning Division 1. Um, <clears throat> carried off, promoted in Division 2. Um, Division 3, Anna Klung. And yep. in Division 4, Agnes Finn. So, you know, congratulations. Great seasons by all them. But uh, Yeah, well done, man. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying well done. Yeah. I was backing you up there, John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you had a great start to the season, but you you fell away a wee bit. Um, uh, we didn't do yeah. And it's uh, you know, I suppose the, the thing with that is that you know you just can do it, but it's just about uh, tweaking the, the few problems that you had during the year and getting it right for next year. Then, yeah. Well, Random chains taking us is like I, I, I rate them very highly um, with Mark Fitzsimon. So, like, I have no doubt that they'll, they'll be sitting down and they'll be reviewing things and um, they'll be looking to change things, like, obviously, um, to make us better. Like, because it's obviously if you, you repeat the same, same things, you're going to get the same results. So, probably need to look at, you know, as well as what went well, where we sort of fell short and try and, try and bridge that gap for next season. Yeah. No, and every league this year has been, been, very competitive as well, which is which is good to see. Uh, and you know, maybe 
John, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It is brilliant um, to have competitive leagues. Maybe it would have been maybe one criticism I would have had with down leagues over the last few, maybe few years um, was that, you know, there was, you know, discrepancies and stuff. Yeah. Like, um, like I, I worked in Armagh for a few seasons um, within um, their leagues. Uh, their leagues were great. Um, and, like, like, I remember was, I was involved with one team and there was a difference, you know. I think if if they had a one, uh, the game there was a, a chance of them being in the bottom two. Oh, sorry, if they had a good beat, there was a chance of them in the bottom two. If they had a one, the last game there was a chance that uh, they could have came second. So, like, like, and I think one of the things they have in their favour, which I'm a fan of, is the fact that the, the leagues there are, are wrapped up before championship. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know that's um, uh, you see it in the in the fixtures now. Leagues need to be played before the championship because uh, there's some teams now that are playing teams that have nothing to play for. They're safe in the league. Yeah, they're out of the championship. Yeah, you know. So um, definitely, I hope that is brought in next year because <clears throat> it will be a big help to, to everybody and you know for, for yeah uh, for a fair playing field. <clears throat> so yeah. The the division one. There's no point in going through like each individual match because. Anything could happen, as I say. We don't know what kind of teams other teams are going to put out, etc. Et mm-hmm. But what I want to get more uh, on your thoughts of is what should the players be thinking of now? What should the coaches be reinforcing now? And you know, what, mm. what's like the, the potential mindset for even young fellas playing in you know the, these relegation? You know, how they, yeah, the maybe the yeah, I suppose. So, sorry, I'm sorry. That maybe don't have the experience, you know, have been there, done that before. Like, how do yeah. some of the group then to, to, to get over these very important games? Well, yeah, I suppose, like, equally, like with the championship, I find relegation playoffs bring, bring pressure too. You know, pressure comes from, I suppose, from my point of view, is like expectations, scrutiny, or, or consequence. And I suppose all three of those are in play. In both relegation and um, championship, the only difference is when you're going into a relegation playoff, morale's probably lower because you've been losing more games. And I think winning or losing games ultimately dictates what sort of mood a team is going to be in. Um, I suppose John had mentioned there that um, previously, like success leaves clues. So for myself, I would be looking at right, what are like five, six games? That we have, so every game, every club's probably going to have won five or six games. Pick maybe five or six games, right? What are the trends that we were doing when we were winning these games? Um, so it's it's really going out to focus on harness your strengths as a team, and then boiling them down and setting your game plan out around your strengths, as opposed to you know to to not going out to to avoid defeat. Um, like I, I think I spoke to you about this before, but just how you talk to players as well can be really powerful. Um, I mentioned, yeah, I'm not going to name uh, names, but a friend of mine was playing in a, a championship game uh, a number of years ago. Now, he was only 19, 20 at the time. And they were going out, uh, they were playing that great Mayo Bridge team. And he was told beforehand he was picking up Noel Saxon. Mm-hmm. But uh, the manager and the analysis had been like, right, Noel Saxon, he, he's, he's unreal on the break ball. He will run your raggedy. You need to watch out for um, that left foot of his. He's clinical coming off the shoulder. So, like, the young lad in particular, he was told of it all, all Noel Saxton's strengths. And he was just sent out then to Mark Noel. So, he, he said to me, like, he was going to shit himself, basically, because like you, you get part of what you focus on. So, like, that manager had given part of Noel Saxton's abilities, as opposed to saying to the, the young player in question, right, you, you, th- these are your strengths. This is how you're going to curtail Noel Saxton. Mm-hmm. So, I think... Focusing on your own strengths as a team is, is quite powerful. And knowing what are the three three things, if, four things as a group, if we do well today, will give us the best chance of winning this game. And then ultimately setting out to try and achieve that. Yeah, uh, like it is, I was just looking through the, the different scenarios and that there, there is teams that are going to have to win two games on the on the bounce to get out of the of yeah. playoffs or that there as well. Um, you know, that extra pressure of must win, you know. There, mm-hmm. I know there's the the psychology of you know enjoy and you have to enjoy the 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 process yeah. out there. But you know, 
does that go out the window in these scenarios, or is it still? Yeah, well, I suppose um, Les Kiss, who coached, used to coach Ulster rugby, had a he had a saying that probably summarised it up. Like he talked around outcome-driven, process-focused. So everyone is driven by the big W. Everyone's driven by winning, but you sometimes have to look at uh, what is going to help you win the game, and that's probably where your your focus needs to be on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, just to get my head around then. So, a team's going in on Saturday. Um, the two teams maybe are in the in the in the the relegation. Um, yeah. Do they just concentrate then on like the video analysis, what they've done well, the coach positive mm-hmm. then and then. <laughs> Yeah, more well, more so. Yeah, I think you need to try and create a sense of optimism in the groups because, like, belief probably is going to be to an extent lower in those teams. Yeah. Um, just probably because of their win the loss ratios. Um, so by and large, you know, you can't. It would be naive to say that you, you neglect the best players on the other teams, but it's it's looking getting your matchups right, but then like positively reinforcing what you're looking to achieve rather than what you're looking to avoid. Mm-hmm. So if you like. That that example or the player I gave, rather than like really really focusing on the strengths of certain individuals in the other teams, focusing on your own strengths yeah. that are going to pick that individual up. No, no, and that's um like I was at a I was at a conference there actually on Monday, and I thought this was really interesting. Uh, the Northern Ireland soccer coach Michael O'Neill was speaking at it, and he was talking, you know, about creating optimism in the group and giving a sense of hope. So he was saying in the two thousand fourteen uh, World Cup campaign, they finished second bottom out of the group. I think it was on like five points. Mm-hmm. So he was preparing for the 2016 European Championships campaign, and um, in that particular section, that the so for that particular campaign, the top three teams um, qualified. So he was able to look at it and see right, um, the average points total for the the third place team. In the, this World Cup campaign was 15 points. So Northern Ireland soccer team only had five points. What he said was he looked at the stats and after 75 minutes, if the games had have ended, Northern Ireland would have been on 14 points. So he was able to sell that to the players and create a sense of optimism. If we tighten up in these last 15 minutes, geez, we're going to have a, a great chance. And like, you know, that was the first, he was saying that was the first meeting he had uh, in between the two campaigns. And he says it just it, it created like a, a flick switch in the players' minds, and it almost gave them a sense of belief. But he was using real evidence yeah. and real stats to create that belief. Yeah, because the players now like they're they're they don't take um your word for it anymore. They're, they're, they're more <laughs> educated now, and you know, as you said, and you need to have the hard facts to back it up because mm-hmm. like um I'm sure you've been in, in changes as well where uh, managers come in and say oh. The stats show that we're winning midfield or whatever, and you know, yeah. playing in the game, that's not true, you know. And yeah. so already, you know, you're on the back foot with the manager. So yeah, it's yeah, it's about getting everybody on board for these last few games, and I'm just mm-hmm. intrigued to see now which management coaches and and players get it right. So, well, yeah, yeah. Not... and I'll be, it'll be really interesting. Now. Yeah, and. It's it's testament to the competitiveness of the leagues as well. I suppose we are going down to the to the wire, but that like my, my one gripe would be quite quite similar to yours. I think there's a couple of teams there that have um, found themselves in unfair positions, um, you know, based on when games were played. Yeah, yeah, and as I say, we do hope that that is uh, rectified um, in the in the off season then for for the new season. Well, I, I think it would help the competitiveness. Competitiveness. How do you say it? We're competitiveness of all the leagues. Yeah. So it's like the like Down Jay have done. You know, I, I think they've done a great job in getting the leagues to where they are this year. But I just think if they want to take it that level further, it probably would be um, a good change to create. And now there's obviously it's there's fixture like GA fixtures is pro- calendars probably probably is across the board. Um, one of the things that, that most people would have gripes with and and it's a difficult situation because you've just got players that are competing for so many different teams and trying to create a sense of fairness across that is difficult but I'm sure if people sit down together that something can be done but I, the, I've had a long hard think about this because I was um, 
you know, this year I've seen it myself with you know being to all the games not there and being to most um, divisions. And I think if the championship goes back to um, straight knockout, then mm-hmm. leagues can then because down is very good at getting the games played on on yeah or, or, definitely you know and I think if it goes to straight knockout, you know, then at the end of the season, then we can we can have that that fixture. Um, ah, it's a straight knockout. Like Tyrone do it. Yeah. Um, I think Derry do it as well. Do they? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about Derry, but Tyrone now. But but every championship game matters. It's just that, and you get crowds in, you know. And I I would love to see that, you know, where you get um neutral, you know, neutral club venues to get you know your championship right up to semi final stage. And that, I, I remember that as a child, and it used to be brilliant. You know, maybe going to Drumgah to see. Railbridge and Bransford in a championship semi-final and it uh, you know bunged out. It, it's it was I remember as a child it was just really exciting and everyone was buzz about it and you don't get that with um with those you know you get a second chance at it now and you know sometimes maybe even it can can possibly even put a, a sort of a, maybe not their their full complement out just a bit of shadow back to the extent because you know you get a second chance where when you're going at it full throttle. People, that's what people love to see, John. Yeah, yeah, and that's what like as growing up like that with, with the championship football, the best team will always come out on top. Anyway, you know the best prepared team, or yeah, it, it yeah. Should, hopefully, as I say, um, you know, county board will sit down and, and take um these uh points on board. But John, I think you should throw your hat in the ring for the next county chairman. I'm just going to put it out there publicly here. Well, no, Cormac, I've, I've took one year out of football already. I'm, I'm looking to get back into management or coaching again. So, no, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm too young for county chairman yet, sure. Um, so, you've, you've, uh, you've got the, the bug back and the right back to get back coaching again? I have, yes. Uh, as I said, you know, this year, definitely the uh, you know, getting the, to see the games and uh, the different divisions as well. It's very impressed with the, yeah. the lower divisions, you know, even mm-hmm. even the, the the team preparations not there as well. So, um, you know, it's definitely 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 giving me the bug back for the um to get involved because uh, even seeing you know the research not there, like we actually do some research for the show, but <laughs> getting talking to people and you know getting enthusiasm back for. Like the way teams set up and and the the psychology in it, there's you know fascinates me as well. So mm-hmm. um, no, definitely uh, county chairman can wait for for another. Yeah, I'm disappointed, John, but sure, life goes on. <laughs> oh, there's for part two, Cormac. Join us for part three after the break. <laughs> Welcome back to part three. The uh, you're with Ulster Rugby at the at the minute, but um, you've done a lot of work with with different Gaelic teams and, and you know county and different um, teams throughout the, the county as well. So I mm-hmm. just want to uh, draw on your experience with um, the performance psychology of there. There's three things that that really fascinate me and as a as a Coach and, and, and manager is um, the team talks like what? Okay, uh, you know, when I was playing, I can't really remember too many team talks by a manager that 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 like stand out. It was just actually mm-hmm. one from Jonathan Austin, I'll never forget it. That was uh, against Kilku, and yeah, you know, that really and for every player, we still talk about that. That is uh, rousing speech that night. So mm-hmm. what would your yeah team talk even before before the match and even at half time? Well, like I suppose when you talk about rousing speeches, actually, um, we used to play under man Paul Shields from Clonduff, and he he gave one similar to, to us actually. Um, I think it was we played carried off, <laughs> and we had sixteen players who went down two thousand ten, and uh, they had like they had a panel of about thirty. Um. It was, it was, we actually ended up going down there and beating them. It was probably one of the greatest victories I've had as a player. Um, but with those rousing speeches, John, the thing is, they, they can't happen too often because if they do, they lose their effect. Or if the, if you keep doing them, you have to increase the, you know, the 
the emotional level each, with each speech and then you'll end up like taking a heart attack or something. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a, there is a, a limited a time and a place for them that is maybe, like it wouldn't be t- too often. Like, But with team talks, John, like, if, like I, I think the coach and the manager's job should be done. Like they shouldn't be given any new information. Players should be able to know exactly what they're doing or what way they're setting out or what's going on. By the Wednesday, because uh, if you're giving you you're giving players time to process it basically. So if you're finding new information on board during a, a team talk on the ma- night of a match, well, uh, are players really taking it on board? Um, so that would be that would be one thing, um, I suppose, John. Um, clarity of instruction is a big thing. So keeping your points simple to the point that players are going to remember, um, and even not all players are going to dial in. So like. Uh, with also the rugby, like we do a couple of simple things. Like we had done video, and we had done video work with uh, all the coaches there. Where we videoed them before the game, uh, their speeches before the game, and during half time. Right. And like there was a couple of things we picked up in terms of, um, and like the coaches are very open to it, and they've openly talked around it. So I'm not really, I'm not speaking out of school here. I think. Um, but what we found based on that was like one particular. Uh, feedback was like the changing room was a bit chaotic so there was um you know those boys putting straps on there was freaking physio in the corner so the, the coach's message wasn't really getting it wasn't i felt delivered bang on um so what we've done was obviously we um we had a, a simple things you might think i know that sports ecology is simple and common sense stuff but we had a designated time when the coach was speaking um so like you know and i, I think I think as well, um, we're still on pregame, not half time, John. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know, um, owning the changing room. So for me, um, what that coach done was then everyone for this for his three, two, three, four minutes was that everyone was aside. So in rugby, they commit, they would talk in units at half time and stuff. But pregame, um, that he, like he knew exactly where everyone was and everyone was able to see his eyes. Um, and as well as rugby, what to do, which I think it. it happens sort of um by chance or by design rather than chance they've got uh the they live numbers one to 15 in in order yeah um and i think you know even before a game or at half time that's a, a, a simple strategy that coaches can use so because you could be in flow and you'll be like right where's john fagan john where, john, john playing center half forward john there you are there and it gets you out of your flow whereas if you know exactly where the man is you can you know he's number 11 well you know where he's sitting you're able to, to grab him there and then to chat them there and then and you don't lose the flow of that conversation um so how, how you suppose pre-game s- setting that up even getting your message across clearly um as well as that what used in some places is like a, a visual like a, almost like a, a whiteboard where the, the the key instructions that the coach has given are are on the board um so it's all about like clarity of communication and making sure that all players know exactly what's expected of them but a lot of that john is um that, that's done in the, ch- the training field as well so it's just it's really re-emphasizing your your game plan and your key points and how you do that with clarity I suppose is for me would be the big thing. And Colin, just uh, when you're speaking there, I was just thinking back to um, a, a piece of advice I got whenever I started um, coaching was the that Gaelic players can only remember three things whenever you're speaking yeah. to them. Is that true, or like, or you know? Yeah, well, the, like I suppose it's different for different people, but the short term memory has limited capacity. And if you think particularly at half time as well, when you know you've been working hard. Uh, your concentration becomes even less. So I know Mourinho, uh, uh, you know, used to only give three instructions half time. Um, so yeah, I think less can be more at times, particularly at half time. Um, like, and as well as that, it would be advised at half time as coaches give give players a couple of minutes to to come down to regulate to to chill out. Um, like, uh, and as a coach as well, a couple of minutes can buy you thinking time. Um, and in rugby. They, they go into units, they go into backs, and they go into forwards. And I actually notice, and um, Kilku do something similar. Um, so what they do in rugby is that they they'll have a chat amongst themselves, and one spokesperson from the players will feed back what's happening uh, from the forwards, one from the backs. So that that stops fucking excuse my French. <laughs> that stops uh, 
you know, seven or eight voices arguing each over each other. So yeah. you have two designated rail speakers to reflect back on the main points. And then the coach, that allows players to reflect. Because sometimes as a manager, you're maybe seeing things that it's different from what's happening on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So giving the players a bit of a, giving the players a voice, but not the microphone, I think is an important analogy. So taking on board their views and then, you know, what are you seeing? Um, uh, there was there was one club team I was working with, their manager was very good in that um, at half time, uh, he would have, so he would have had the whiteboard up and he would have had players' positions laid out and he would have been, he would go through the matchups for the second half even if it was the same, just to reinforce the players, who was picking who up or if there was any changes based upon what was happening in the first half. And with half-time, for me, is is, is vital as well. Even, yeah. does, it, does the message change if you're winning or if you're if you're behind at half-time? Um, it dep- well, it depends, John. You could be you could be getting beat at half-time, but like, you could be near the bottom of the division, you could be playing the top team, and you could be playing pretty well yeah um consequently you could be winning by a point you could be web of the other team you could have been complacent you should have beaten them by more so you know what i suppose in sport or as a as a saying it, it it really does depend yeah yeah um for, ha- for, for me sometimes the half time the 15 months is a very long time so maybe, it is. so maybe you know would you like Say the is it ten or fifteen? Is it ten or fifteen? John? Some some teams take fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose I I put a thing up and uh, on I spoke to Stevie Poacher about this actually, and he wrote a Gaelic Life article on it. Which, <laughs> but um, we we learned university like a, a like the five hours of halftime, so it was like relaxed. So that was give the players time to to try and make sense of what's happened. Give them a couple of minutes, suck in a couple of deep breaths. Um, and then uh, refuel, so that's like getting getting the juice on, getting the the the, the carbs on, or the, the what do you take Jaffa cakes, jelly babies, all that crap. Um, get the energy up again. Um, reflect. So that was like right, reflect on what's just happened here. Um, and then you know review review. Then is right. What are we going to do? What are, what do we need to change the second half? What are the two three key instructions? And then another one's like refocus, which basically is like I think. Trying to get players up to, you know, get their heart rates up and get it elevated to a level that it's going to be during game time. So maybe a few short sprints on the spot, out will go run for the second half to start, so that you've got, you've, you know, it's almost like a, a re warm up, a mini warm up, but over maybe 30, 50 seconds just to get, um, to get you up to scratch, get you up to speed to the level you need to be at. Yeah, because that's a, it's a bugbear of mine in, in Gaelic football. Whenever you're out at the right time, you're standing there waiting on the other team to come out. You know, mm-hmm. I suppose the thing is to have a sort of mini warm up just in case that happens. But you know, yeah, everybody else on the pitch and you know get the heart rate going again. Yeah, I'm maybe coming out a minute earlier and actually having a set warm. Now, I haven't really seen any teams do that. Um, actually seen which I thought was interesting the intermediate championship final that Brito were in. Uh, Jody Gormley was taking them. They they came out from behind the stand just two minutes or a couple of minutes before throwing. So they obviously had done all their talking and then went out and just warmed up. So, you know, there possibly could have merit in that, but traditionally Gaelic teams will warm up and then go in and do their talking. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that approach from Jody Gormley possibly has some merit on it. Yeah, well, to be fair now, um, I was brought in Tommy Stevenson, um, a coach from, from Armagh, and, you know, he was sending me why would you do your warm up and then go in and talk as well? You yeah, know, get get your talking done and then reinforce it then in the warm up and then you're ready to hit the field, which is, you know, as you said, yeah. sense sometimes you know is is you know overlooked sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely. Oh, it's an interesting point. Yeah, no, I definitely think that that would be uh, beneficial. The second one, Connor, I suppose, would be. Um, the way teams are set up now, there is more defensive teams, and teams are are uh, it's getting harder and harder to get the scores and get their shooters on board. So, for me, the thing of a free kicks is should be mm-hmm. should be in around ninety percent now with with free kicks. Um, yeah, free kick taking myself. So, what, yeah, as am I actually. What what? 
what it should be your mindset then and you know how do you get that you're almost up to don't her standard and mm-hmm. uh, well I suppose there's no substitute for practice um I guess how you practice is probably um something that maybe could be looked at like if if you think around when you are taking a free kick uh I suppose there's two things that's going to be happening one you could be slightly fatigued because uh, you've been running um, and then the second thing is free kicks are the one sort of thing in Gaelic football I suppose along with goalkeeper kicks but where like you, you've time to think so most Gaelic football is sort of reactive you're you, you know it, it, you don't you almost do it automatically where Gaelic the free kick you maybe you maybe have 30 seconds and you know so there's that that thinking time there um, so I suppose from a psychological perspective you are right it's um it, it's an area of difference um, and what can happen is I suppose we can be aware of people watching us or aware of the fact that there's um, a consequence attached to this so what that can do is that can sort of spike up heart rate a bit so trying to replicate that in your training getting used to a bit of fatigue or your heart rate up or trying to bring your heart rate down so maybe like um, trying to maybe I don't know do um, 20 press ups or 5 short sprints before taking taking the free kick can sort of replicate the you know the, the physiologically what might be happening to you um i suppose with free kick taking as well there's there's a consequence as well if you miss that you're to an extent you're letting your team down so trying to, to put maybe some fun consequences attached to training so say for example you have a right footed taker and a left footed free taker and you have the luxury to maybe have 20 boys training or, or 30 boys training um Calling a free kick, so say you're maybe playing a uh, conditioned game or a, a full match, calling a free kick there and then, uh, maybe five times throughout this game, and your both free kick takers are, are taken maybe from similar positions at different ends of the pitch, and marking marking them out of five, and the person maybe that that gets lower, so his team has to do some form of consequence. So it might be, I don't know, um, maybe for the next two weeks they have to to have the bibs ready, they have to have the balls pumped up, cones are shorted, or maybe even three players in that team doing that over two weeks so that you're almost accountable to someone else. Um so trying to bring in a sense of consequence as well in that and I suppose consistency is a big thing. So one of the things we would I'd work on is developing a consistent routine that actually aids performance. So it might be something like um a few deep breaths, um visualizing where you want to kick the ball and then importantly the last thought that's going in your mind before taking the kick and i say this with interest because i was working about four seasons ago with ulster rugby we had a an interpro game i think it was like under 19s or possibly under 20s and the we needed a penalty to win the game and the young guy got it and it was as you said it was it was he would have nailed this nine times out of ten and he ended up missing it and then I was sort of having a conversation with him about what was happening, you know, and he was saying the last thought came through my head was, don't miss it, don't miss. So I was like, right, what's the last thing you're hearing? He's like, miss. So, like, he was he was planting the word miss in his head. So And you he, often hear coaches doing this as well, and I would be a big advocate of when you are giving messages and instructions, like, be clear on what you're looking to achieve rather than, you know, don't miss it. I would have been thinking, right, follow through, because that's what's going to allow me to to get the ball over there. That's what I need to be thinking before, or the last part of my technique that I need to be homing in on. So for him, that was important. But also then, I suppose I'm sidetracking a bit, but for coaches in terms of how you communicate with your players, like, um, you know, um, um, press up rather than don't drop back. Like, be, be confident and assertive in what you're looking to actually want to do rather than what you're looking to avoid. Because even in those moments, you're like, don't drop back. It takes you a couple of seconds to actually work out what you're he's asking you to do. So for me, I even I would be one for trying to eliminate the word "don't" from a from a coach's vocabulary. Um, but back to the free kicks. So yeah, they would be the things you know trying to trying to recreate the, you know physiologically what's happening, then bring a sense of pressure in terms of around consequence, and then trying to work on developing a consistent routine that you can fall back on. And you need to be practicing that routine as well, but that's where you go to so that that takes your mind away from focusing about everything else if you can dial into that routine where you're focusing on things that are going to actually help you get the ball over the bar and i suppose the it comes just as you're saying about the taking deep breaths and or own forward has a you know in, in the english, english mm. player has a unique kicking style 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose that's just him getting, you know, visualizing that's going over the bar. Yeah. Is it that still? Yeah, it's, it's, it's him going through a set of processes that are going to, you know, that help him rather than hinder him. So focusing on the crowd or the importance of the kick, it doesn't really help you. But if you focus on your breath or visualize it going over, it does. Now, you have to get what's right for you as well. Yeah. Um, personally, what's right for you. Um, I think a scene was it there? It was in a rugby setting that one of the players had shared his routine um, before one of the games and the opposition had got hold of it. So they were they were messing with his mind. Make sure you don't take seven steps back instead of six there. And it, it threw him. Um, so some of the things teams get up to around it are quite funny too. And I suppose just getting in the head. But, the, uh, you know, Freaks yeah. is going to be absolutely vital in the... In the relegation ones as well, so it's just all about getting, ah, getting that definitely, you know, definitely, um, definitely, um, getting the referees on side. So hopefully, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, having having a, a nice word in your ear, telling them what a great job they're doing. Yeah. You know, might have a bit of an influence rather than having to go. This, this, it's, it's definitely turning more into a squad game where teams now are emptying the bench. Um, just yeah. with the, the, I suppose the physical demands now of Gaelic football. And, um, whereas before, you know, it was all, uh, the starting 15 and your substitutes, but, you know, it's yeah. definitely changed now where you're looking for your bench, uh, supposed to, you know, bolster your, your, options of winning the game so it's just how do you address you know dropping a lad who you think for the last 20 minutes or anything can can turn the game around for you or consolidate yeah yeah it is a difficult one um i suppose i know myself been been there as a player and you know i've done a bit of coaching as well so it's a difficult conversation but you have to i think you have to be honest with players as well Mm -hmm. um and letting them know in advance for me is something that, that personally I like to know I was dropped in a game sort of at the last minute without warning and it maybe maybe I was a bit um a bit soft around it but it threw me. Um so I think you know how you communicate it with players and been honest around the reason why. If it is to come on for the last twenty minutes, well that's why. Um you know if maybe there's an area of the game that they need to be working on, well letting them know that as well. Like you maybe or someone else just that happens to be performing better than you. So been honest, like I think it's a it's a great coaching trait, managerial trait, that been open, honest communication with your players. Um, and you're right, like it's team, it's a squad game now, and quite often teams will finish hypothetically with their stronger team or just the setup. Like you know, Dublin or Kerry brought Tommy Walsh on, yeah. um, the last twenty minutes to, to bolster them, and it, it did. It worked in both against Tyrone and the first game against the Dubs. Um, so. You're 100% right. But even the words you use, like substitutes, when you think of subs, you think of something that's substandard. So, like, I prefer, like, even thinking of impact players or finishers just to give them, I suppose, like, their proper title. Um, I've done, I have done sessions with teams around, because, like, some of the teams I've been involved in, like, they've, they, they want them, these players to feel valued. And I think that is so important as well, mm. is giving them set players, like, a a sense of they're, they're part of the team. Like I've been in teams before where, you know, the first 15 are named and then right the rest of these are subs. So like put yourself in that player's position. Like my name isn't even warranted getting called out or getting the jersey. Um, You would see as well the four games where right the start in 15, you kick balls over the bar, the rest of you subs run behind there and throw balls back out to them. You know, I'd, and even at that, what use is a corner back who probably isn't going to get up the field taking shots, whereas you're maybe second choice corner forward mm-hmm. who might need it. Um, I did. I done a session um, a couple of years ago with the squad around um, around the role of the impact player, and what we done was we got them, got the whole squad in to actually discuss what what do you expect? What is like? I think this is a good question as well. Any coach can ask a player like, what does excellence look like? So, what is an excellent bench or an excellent group of? Um, non-starters or impact players look like. So I got them to come up with like you know three or four key things, and then I furthered that question with, well, right, what are the behaviours associated with that? What will that look like? So they might have had, might have been saying something like, you know, we want they need to be like they need to be tuned in, they need to be engaged, and like right, how do you ensure you're tuned in? So 
one of the players put a suggestion in place, right, let's get the two cornerbacks sitting together and any time, if we notice anything about the corner forward, we'll, we'll chat it through. So they're now watching, giving themselves an advantage when they come on to the game. So, like, with that in place, they might notice that maybe, right, that, that corner forward, every time, as soon as he gets the ball, he's taking a toe tap, right, that's when I can get my tackle in. Um, so, you know, giving them a role, giving them a sense of importance, giving them, you know, Given, yeah, giving them a role and, and having conversations with them instead of, you know, and it's, it is difficult for managers maybe who, you know, it's awkward to tell someone they're dropped or it's awkward, but you, you need to get over that and have those conversations. Yeah. Um, so what we did was to say, also then one of the things was, well, uh, keeping ourselves active. So, you know, players then decided, right, threes, we were going to warm up every five minutes. And then what we did was we actually gave, um, got a, a captain within uh, the impact players who was it was up to him then to be enforcing these things. So you, you're giving someone as well then who isn't on the field a leadership role who mightn't have otherwise had it. Um, but 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 as well, I suppose they do need to see that you value them and that that they're going to make a difference to that team. So as well as that, if you're saying you know our bench is going to win this game and then you end up only putting players on after you're 12 points up with 10 minutes to, or with 12 minutes to go, players are going to smell bullshit as well. Yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to, you know, you have to live what you're saying as a coach. So your behaviours have to mirror um, your words. No, and that's, that's, that's very true, Horgan. Um, I suppose the, the, uh, you know, speaking to you now, I exactly improved as a coach. Cheers, <laughs> John. Well, some club definitely listening now should they get the phone and give me a shout. Um, but you know that's you know as you said, it's simple things that you know just even as a coach and manager as well, you're just looking for repetition of it and to be genuine mm-hmm. because as you said, yeah. players like players smell bullshit. They know whenever you know you're you're trying to fob them off and anything out there. And is there anything, just on a final note, Cormac, is there anything that you, like a bugbear of yours that you see teams doing or, or you know, I know you said about change, changing stuff, you know, that they're not used to or, but is there any um, that you say, look, this is what every team should be doing or is that too broad a product question? And is there, uh, you know is, is there anything I think every team should be doing uh, in terms of how it's set up, or how, how do you mean? With, uh, with with the psychology of it, you know, how do you get that uh, togetherness? Um, I suppose the one big thing with Ulster is like we we would suppose work on I suppose culture mm-hmm. is the big thing that as collectively as a group uh, we've been working on with that players over the last few years. Um, and that's around sort of setting standards. Like, so, like, you know, they would maybe, the standards or behaviours in, in, are, are like, they're sort of values, but their behaviours attached to them. So, like, I think teams need, to, and it helps you create a, a team identity. So you might be saying, you know, right, communication or, or honesty is important for this team. And I've seen these sort of buzzwords up on walls and yeah. stuff. And I would ask, I've asked coaches, like, what, is, well, what, does that, what does that mean? What does it look like? And, they can't tell you and when they can't tell you then for me it's, it's like well that's that's just fancy wallpaper because it's got no meaning so it's trying to you know create a team identity of what you actually stand for and then what are the how does that look like in action what are the behaviors associated with that so I suppose like i'll give an example like ulster rugby seniors had a mantra last season which was fight for every inch and i, I don't know who came up with it i think possibly I, 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 well, actually i don't know but that was Dan McFarland would have been coming out and saying that in the press and you know everyone knew about it so again I'm not really talking out of school so um, like what they would have done then is like it's all about fight for every inch in every single training session every game um, and then they actually reinforced that mantra through rewarding so like um, there was a car park uh, spot at the front of Ulster Rugby it was fight for every inch and the player, the players voted for the player who had fought for every inch that last week. So he, that was the player who got that parking space. So you're trying to re- reward what you stand for as a team through players' behaviours. Um, so I've seen in GA teams before, like I've heard of, you know, the shit short and stuff. And they've actually, at the start of one of my first years in the team, I would have done that. And that was for someone who maybe done something stupid or was the worst trainer got the shirt. But it's it's actually quite a negative thing to do. So 
to, to, to flip it on the side now, like you could have like the like, Saracens and England rugby. They've got the the yellow shirt, which is the you know like what the Tour de France winner wears. So the person who trained best that week wears that. So you're you're reinforcing things that you want your players to be doing. It's back to giving part of what you focus on. Like it's when you, when you focus on that, you give part of you get players who are striving to 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 get that shirt. If that makes sense, yeah, am, I, yeah. am I waffling here, John? No, 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 it's interesting. Because well, I was just thinking of uh, whenever um, that James Kerbig came out about the All Blacks, and yeah. the next thing you know, every change room and, and uh, was being brushed out then by players, you know. Funny, I um, I don't a podcast with a guy, Fergus Conway. Uh, I don't know if you know him, he's he's an Irish guy from Monaghan, he's He's written a couple of books, but he's been with some some of the. He's been with Liverpool as a consultant, Scotland Rugby, uh, Michigan Wolverines, San Francisco Forty Nineers. We had this exact conversation, you know, like replicating something. That he says you need to understand the why. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose behind it? What meaning has that got attached to the team? Who owns it? Because like it needs to come from the players. These sort of things as well, because you need to give them ownership of it. Because if a coach is standing up there and saying, "Right, we want to sweep the sheds out," well. Our, or wash the jerseys well, well why yeah. so for, for the All Blacks they base one of their their values is on humility so how they show humility is by is by actually brushing the sheds out and brushing the jerseys out as, or brushing the sheds out and as well as that actually Fergus was saying the All Blacks have a very small management team um, so they don't have enough people to go around so uh, the players the players muck in and they they do it but that's an, a, that's a per, per, perfect example of Having a value, but then an attached behaviour to it. Yes, yeah. Um, and even like Saracens rugby as well. They've got three key sort of key values that they adhere to now. And and I know for a fact they would actually show uh, some of their video analysis isn't about tactics or, um, you know, about how they set up. They they actually specifically show examples of players living those values on the pitch. So they have like um behaviour or values video analysis sessions where. Like so, say um, work rate is one of their things. Well, they would show specific examples of when players are doing that to reinforce that, and likewise when players aren't doing that. Um, so it's just an interesting take on using video analysis to to, to bring the sort of um, your culture into play. Cormac, it's been absolutely fascinating. I'm a, a big advocate of, of um, your work, and uh, I could talk, talk on for hours um, <laughs> different aspects, but. You know, thank you uh, very much for for coming on the the show. It's um definitely insightful, one of the uh, more enjoyable shows for for me. Definitely. Oh, thank you, thank you, enjoyed it. No, well, well, thanks for having us. I haven't really touched on the the games out there, but the you know I think it's more important now at this time of year. You know, people know uh what's what's happening with with you know teams need to win and teams need to compete or whatever. So. But the junior final, I'm really looking forward to it. You've gone for Bright. Um, so Who are you going for, John? I'll have to go for Agnes Nafin, correct, because right. you've gone for Bright. So. <laughs> Is that the way it works? <laughs> you get yourself off the hip there. That's the way it works. I should, I should have given you a call first. Yeah, I can't have uh, the two the two teams falling out of me, so that's the way. Um... <laughs> I, see there's, I see you've had a few people falling out with you over the... <laughs> Over the duration of the podcast, you need a bit of a thick skin for it, but you do, you do, surely. But sure, that's what it's all fun and games, isn't it? Yeah, good man. Cormac, thank you so much, and enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, we'll see you at the at the match then. I'll buy you a wee coffee, John. Good man, John. Thank you. Cheers, Cormac. Thank you.